0: So I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to two different places. The first one is Exodus chapter 20 and the second one is Exodus chap I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 40. So Exodus 20, Isaiah 40, and there is a Bible app event that makes it very simple to follow along. Uh, if you have the Bible app and look for Kermansville Alliance, you will find it. This is um part of a series on Bible stories that we're doing, and we're kind of moving through these different Bible stories, and we're coming to the Ten Commandments, and we're going to look this morning at the first of the Ten Commandments. And for some people, it's kind of comical to me, some people think of the Ten Commandments like, Baseball, hot dogs, and apple pie, and the Ten Commandments—like you know—they'll stand up and salute. Yeah, I like them things. Ten Commandments, I like them a lot. And if you remember, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that when there was a threat of the statue with the Ten Commandments being removed locally here, everybody—that courthouse was packed with people who loved the Ten Commandments and wanted them to be there. But as I mentioned, I think we love them, but maybe we don't know them. I'll be entirely honest with you. I don't know if I could sit down and write the Ten Commandments out, let alone write them in order. But I love the Ten Commandments, you know? And so I think it's fitting, it's appropriate that we give them our attention. Uh, it's very relevant uh, in our day and age. And so as we prepare for communion, we're going to begin looking here at the first of the Ten Commandments. And I'd like you to listen, follow along if your Bible's open to Exodus 20. Uh, and we're going to read the first three verses together so we had that bit of context. It says, and God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. No other gods beside me, he's saying. This first commandment, actually it kind of serves as the baseline commandment. You probably could introduce it with words like, you know this, right? Like, I mean, you've heard this, haven't you? From the very beginning, I'm sure that you know that we should have no other gods before, before the one true God. Yeah, we should know that. But people, <laughs> being who we are, we're a little bit forgetful. And we sometimes live as though we have forgotten this premier commandment. And so God reminds us. He's reminding you right now. He reminded you in Joshua's prayer. He reminded you in that last song that we just sung. I turn to Isaiah chapter 40. And you're going to see that he reminded the people of Israel about this commandment. In Isaiah 40 verse 21, some incredibly beautiful words are, are presented to us. It says, do you not know? This is Isaiah forty twenty one. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught. He reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the sorry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name, because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Oh, isn't that a beautiful passage of scripture in Isaiah? And the reality of who God is really underlies this commandment, you will have no other gods before me. Take a look at those words again in Exodus 40, 21, where it says, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? Everyone should know this, but not everyone does. And sometimes even those who know it live as so though they've forgotten. This first commandment affirms to us that God is above all of creation. He is separate. He is distinct from that which is made. Pantheism. That's the term that we use to say that God is everything, and everything is God. It's not biblical at all. It's a belief that God is the universe, and the universe is God, and the Bible doesn't teach that in any way, shape, or form. But some people talk that way. Have you heard someone say, wow, the universe was good to me today, I got a raise. If you haven't heard it in person, you hear it on television, in entertainment, on movies. It's pantheism. Uh, Some are more blatant concerning pantheism. I once was asked to pray a prayer blessing locally at a wedding in a ceremony, and the prayer they gave me was pantheistic. Would you please read this prayer at our wedding pastor? It was something like this. O earth mother, we praise thee, that seed springeth, that flower openeth, that grass waveth, We praise thee for all things, O earth mother, who givest life. Now, I think that they put it in Elizabethan language to have the King James sound, to make it sound more real, but it's not. It's just wrong. And I politely declined the invitation. I didn't say, you know, that's heresy. I'm not that guy, right? But I said, you know what? I'd really rather not read that. I would rather pray to the God who made earth than pray to earth. And I prayed a blessing on that wedding ceremony to the God who made heaven and earth. Hmm, why? Because the universe is not God and God is not the universe. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. God is separate, distinct from his creation. And in that, he is superior to his creation. He gets first place. If creation was an orchestra, he doesn't get first chair. He gets to be the conductor. He is superior to all of it. And all of us, or at least most of us, would would say, well, you know, we don't worship heaven and earth and sky and trees. But when God says, you shall not have other gods before me, he means nothing should be placed before him. I find it disturbingly easy to put things ahead of God. It happens in subtle ways. Maybe something recreational begins to take my attention away from God. Some hobbies, good hobbies. Or maybe something that I spent a lot of money on I remember I had a buddy who spent a lot of money on a gaming console for his eight-year-old son. And when the boy wasn't playing it, he'd say, you need to play that. I played a lot, paid a lot of money for that. You know, How many dads have you ever seen encouraging their kids to get back on a Nintendo or the Xbox, right? But his justification or his thinking was, I paid good money for that. We need to get that money back out of it by using it. And so, yeah, something you spend a lot of money on can demand your attention that way. Maybe in terms of your family. It's one of my favorite quotes. I heard a Presbyterian pastor say it. When he said it, it just struck me. He said these words, Christmas is the high watermark in the cult of the family. (laughs) Think about that for a minute. He was troubled that the people in his congregation were setting aside worship of the Lord on Christmas, this holy day, in order to prioritize family activities. It is disturbingly easy To put things ahead of God. And it's alarming to me to see how anything that I vow you really has the potential to usurp God's place in my own life. It can actually become a God before God. If you find yourself tempted to do that, can you hear Isaiah say, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded, he sits enthroned above the circle of earth and its people are like grasshoppers. God is superior to anything that can come into your life and he alone is worthy of your devotion and your worship. We have no other gods beside him or before him because God is above all creation and likewise, God is above all people. Now, those of you that are critical thinkers are thinking, yeah, well, people are part of creation. You're starting to get redundant, Pastor Steve. But I've been redundant for years, right? But I'm doing this quite intentionally because, because this really is something that might demand our focus for a moment. God is superior to all that I see, and God is superior to little old me. That is a poem that I just wrote this morning. My wife is laughing the hardest because one time when I was writing her poetry, she looked at it and said, this looks like drivel. And I had to look up what drivel meant. (laughs) And she was right. Look again at Isaiah chapter 40. Look at verse 23. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them. And they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. That's pretty violent language if you think about it. I mean, at least it's pretty rough language. It's saying even the most powerful of humankind will be swept away like chaff. Why would God use that kind of strong language to drive home a point? That he is superior to you and me passage tells us that he is sovereign. And sovereignty means he has rulership and control over everything, even our destiny. (laughs) That's kind of cool. Mr. Smay, this is for you and your kind. This is a Scotsman Scotsman I'm going to put on the screen, okay? Who here is Scottish? Put your hands up. Ah, hi, good. That's for you too, my lass. Right? Yeah. Scottish poet Robert Burns, who seemed to have very little time for God in his life, might just concur with this idea that God is in control when he writes, the best laid schemes of mice and men gang aftergley. Some of you are looking and saying, I don't know what gang af agley means. I'll help you out. It means the best laid plans of mice and men go often awry. It's true. We want to think that we're in control of our future, of our destinies, but we really aren't. I mean, is there anyone here who had their plans foiled in the past 18 months? Huh, yeah. It messed up sports. It messed up vacations, graduations, jobs, church services, income. It's operations that you were supposed to have had to be postponed. It changed many plans. I think that one of the reasons that this spirit of anger kind of hangs over our lives like a dark storm cloud cloud, is because we want to think we're in control. I'd like to think I'm omnipotent. I call the shots, but we don't. Think about it. Tiny, 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 tiny little simple virus set this world spinning in a whole different direction. Hmm. Life seldom turns out as we expect. And the best laid plans of mice and men Gang after glay. As we approach the Lord's Supper, we remember he's sovereign. We remember that by contrast, we're pretty small compared to him. And he's overall. You shall have no other gods before me because I'm in control. I'm sovereign. And by the way, God's sovereignty, him being the boss, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. No one, Can work out the future like God can work out the future. No one can. I spend way too much time worrying, wringing my hands, worrying about how I'm going to manage the challenges that are before me. Sometimes we do this because we forget this commandment. He's God. I'm not God. He's in control. That's good. He has the answers to all my questions. What's going to happen with my family? How are they going to make it through this? How am I going to make it through that? How am I going to fix this? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. And rather than worshiping ourselves... And relying on our own abilities, it is safe to trust the one who is sovereign and who is bigger and who holds our destiny in his hands. God is above nature. God is above people. And, and this is the best part, God is concerned for us. He's concerned with us. You know, there's very little more dangerous than great power combined with small compassion. That's a dangerous thing. But that is not what God is. He has great power and he has great compassion. Think about how personal this commandment is. I mean, I'm just going to go back and read Exodus 1, 2, and 3 again. You don't have to follow along. Just listen to it for a moment. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. Out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods. Before me. The language is personal. I am your God. I brought you from there. And I put you right here. And no one else has done that for you. And no one else is worthy of your devotion. I. Am God. You will have no other gods before me. We belong to him. Personally. He belongs to us personally. You know, it it does not surprise me that he is above all that he's created. It does not surprise me that he is above people. What does surprise me is this issue of personal belonging. That the one who made everything and everyone cares about me personally and you personally, that is not just surprising, that is dumbfounding. And amazing and delightful and encouraging and uplifting. Even though he is incomparable, he still cares for us. Take a look at Isaiah 40, verse 25. Let me just read this. To whom you will you compare me? This is God speaking. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heaven. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Think about that. He calls each of the stars by name. I remember earth science in eighth grade. I remember having to learn the stars, you know, like you got to know this star and that star and this other star. And I remember, I'm terrible with names. Just ask anybody. Francis, aren't I terrible with names? Oh, I'm sorry, your name's Janet. Aren't I terrible with names, right? Yeah, but God isn't. He knows the name of every star in the sky, and he calls them forth. And listen to this. I'm going to show it to you in Scripture in a moment. He knows your name personally, and he calls you forth. He knows you and cares for you. These Ten Commandments, they are not some mean old God who wants to control you. They are his way of interacting with you and blessing you. And even though he's incomparable, he cares for you. And because of his great love, he preserves us. Look at the latter part of verse 26 of Isaiah 40. And look what it says about the stars. Because of his great power and mighty strength, none of them is missing. Not one of them is missing. Did you catch that phrase? Not one of them. Is missing. Now, I know, that's about stars. But if you know your Bible, you might actually hear a, an echo of that in some of the words of Jesus. Because Jesus, in his high priestly prayer for his followers, in John 17, 12, he says this, While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me none of them has been lost except the one doomed for destruction so the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of them is missing. I think I heard that a moment ago. And then a chapter later at Jesus' arrest, when his disciples look like they're going to be arrested as well, he instructs the soldiers, let them go. This is all me. Let them go. And John writes in 18.9, this happened so the word he has spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Not one of them is missing. Huh. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? We have no other God before him, and we couldn't possibly want another God before him. He protects that which is his own. Occasionally, when I'm talking to someone about their faith, about their relationship with God, the Ten Commandments comes into the conversation. I say occasionally, and I thought about that in the first service. It's really quite frequently that that comes into the conversation. I try to obey the Ten Commandments, pastor, or I do obey the Ten Commandments, pastor. Me me too, I try. But if I'm really honest, I struggle. I mean, even this one right here, I find it impossible to consistently put God first. And I'm all the time having to recalibrate and readjust. It's kind of like when I'm going down the road with Google Maps and it's telling me turn right here, turn left here, and it doesn't know that I'm going a little fast and so I overshoot that turn. Google Maps will recalibrate for me. God doesn't recalibrate for me. It's me that needs to recalibrate, right? I try to obey the Ten Commandments, Pastor. Me too. But I find it impossible even the very first one. And really, that's where communion comes in. That's where communion comes into the picture. Communion, the Lord's Supper, is a time when you and I remember that because we could not keep the commandments, Jesus kept them perfectly for us. He did it for us. And as we trust in him, he gives us His righteousness, His perfect record becomes accounted to us as we trust in Him. And because He is a God who is concerned for us and wants to say not one of them is missing, He paid for our sins. He died for us on the cross. And when we turn our hearts from sin to Him, That's called repentance. And when we trust that his death paid it all, I trust you, Jesus, we're forgiven. We have eternal life. And we know, (laughs) we know for sure that there is no other God before him. Why would we want one? Have you done that? Have you turned your heart to Christ and trusted him? Do it. Do it. And then take communion this morning. Take communion filled with joy that you have no other God except the one true God. And he is more than enough. The creator of the universe, who redeemed your life from the pit, belongs to you. And you belong to him. And as we take communion, we give thanks for his death on our behalf, it pays for our sins. And it speaks loudly of his great love. We're going to transition to communion at this time. And so, if you have your elements prepared, we'll start with the bread. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he given thanks, he gave it to his disciples and said, This is my body which is for you. It is Christ giving himself to you because he loves you because he knows that you cannot keep your act together and he knows your heart wants to do that and he hands you his righteousness I'm going to ask uh, one of the men with the microphone if they would pray for the bread a prayer of thanks for the bread and then we'll take it together Lord God we are here today and we, we thank you for that and we thank you that you gave your life for us, Lord. And we just ask that you would uh, touch every person here and anyone that might not uh, have fully accepted that or fully believed that. I ask that you would you would touch them right now. Amen. We're so thankful, Lord, that you are real and, and that we can have faith in you and we can trust you and that you did give your life for us, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tim. The body of Christ. Scripture says that afterward he took the cup. And before we receive that, I'm going to ask uh, Josh if he would pray for the, the cup. Josh. Lord God, we thank you for what you did for us. That you are a personal God who injects himself into our lives. God, we thank you for this symbol of washing and renewing. So God, we ask now, even as we pray and take this element, God, that you would, uh, that we would be washed by you and that we would see you and, and experience you in a way that is more than just emotion, that it be very much real to every ounce of our soul. In your name we pray. The blood of Christ.